Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we are here to discuss Uncanny X-Men number 170, the June 1983 issue on sale, March 8th of 1983, cover price of 60 cents. This one's called Dancing in the Dark. Get up in the evening And I ain't got nothing to say I come home in the morning I go to bed feeling the same way I ain't nothing but tired I'm just tired and bored with myself Hey there, baby I could use just a little help You can't start a fire can't start a fire without a spark This gun's for hire Even if we're just dancing in the dark On the cover of this, we've got Storm and Callisto uh, fighting with knives. It's a girl fight. Yeah. I don't really like this cover, but, you know. Do you not like it because there's no background? I don't like it because I don't like the image of either Storm or Callisto. It's pretty rough, isn't it? Yeah, they just, they both look, I mean, I, I imagine it's pretty realistic for how people look when they're fighting. Mm. They, they look pretty angry. They look pretty haggard. Uh, Storm's, like, neck, whatever you call it, the thing that covers her neck that's part of her costume, looks like it's part of her hair. And because it looks like it's part of her hair, it looks like her head is just kind of floating in her hair. <laughs> um. I guess the more you look at Callisto, it almost kind of looks like her head isn't actually even connected to her neck. It looks like her head is offset towards the left of her body, and her neck is actually just kind of stuffed into the back of her head. Wow, you've been staring at this cover for a long time. <laughs> uh, you know, now that you mention it, I've never really had a problem with this cover until you just mentioned it. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose if you are looking at this cover and you take mushrooms, you might see some crazy things. Probably. Um, yeah, I don't know. I've always, I've never had a problem with this cover. Um, I like the stark orange background for some reason. Uh, but granted the, the actual like drawing and the markings, uh, that, that are making up these people's face are very, uh, sketchy and hash marky, but whatever. It's an interesting choice for a cover. It was, uh, there's nothing glamorous about this. They draw better than me. Oh, for sure. <laughs> So this one is by Chris Claremont, Paul Smith, Bob Wiasek. Uh, this is probably the problem that you're having with the cover, Adam, is that we've got new colorists, P. Yeah. Becton and Jay Casey. I no, they were good inside. Is, is that Joe Casey? It's no way. No. <laughs> As a colorist, uh, those are the colors. Tom Orzachowski, Orzachowski, Orzachowski is the letterer. Luis Jones is the editor. And Heem Shooter is the editor-in-chief. I'd like to point out that there is a lock and chase ad in in between the cover and the first page. Yeah. Although, are you reading this from your masterworks? Well, the way my process is, Adam, to kind of lift up the curtain and let people see behind it is that I, I read it from the 2005 release scans on my iPad, the initial pass. But then when I read it on the podcast, I actually read it out of the Marvel masterworks. So I do get a taste of all the ads all the letters, the, bulb, the Marvel bullpen, and all that stuff. Though, I typically forget all of those details by the time we get down to the actual recording. I like Lock and Chase um, because it, it just reminds me of my childhood. <laughs> uh, well, sh- should we 
should we just put down this book and maybe talk a little bit about Lock and Chase? No, no, that's okay. Oh, okay. Just, uh, you know, got some nostalgic. I got a tear in my eye. Well, let's take a moment here uh, of silence for Lock and Chase. <laughs> oh, it's not dead or anything, I suppose. You could you could play it on an emulator or something. You, know. you could. It's, I was never very good at it. Oh, but. well, it's an Atari game. I don't think anybody is any good at any Atari game. It's an Intellivision game. It wasn't on Atari? It had to have been on Atari. It makes no mention of Atari in this ad. Wow. I didn't know that there were Intellivision um, uh, exclusives back in the day. I believe there were, actually. Okay. I'll I believe take... there were. Did Were you an Intellivision kid growing up? Uh, it was what my grandparents had. So I wouldn't say that I was an Intellivision kid, but when I went and visited them, I uh, I played it. Isn't it weird that your grandparents had an Intellivision? Why? Well, I mean, like video... Because, because they were hip and cool? <laughs> well, and then video game systems, not so much anymore, but seem seemed to me that back then were mostly for the kids. But it seemed that whenever uh, my parents took me to, like, friend's house or whatever uh, for various gatherings, that every one of their rec rooms had either a ColecoVision or an Intellivision or an Atari. And we didn't have one. And these people usually either didn't have kids or had kids that were much older than me. Hmm. So maybe I guess it was a different time. Maybe it was the thing to do. Like you, you bought your Betamax. And you're like, well, what are we going to do with all of our extra money? Let's buy an Intellivision. Yeah, my uncle and aunt also had this little like, it was one game and it was in this little box. And I spent many years trying to find it. It was this like little black and white thing where you play a spaceship and it's just like a little joystick huh. and you're dodging stuff and dropping bombs. Wow. And I finally found it one day and that's the end of that story. <laughs> <laughs> well, that story kind of petered out at the end. It was, it, it's hard to explain this game. Uh, visually, it was not a whole lot to look at um, and it was very hard uh, it starts out as in a big kind of cavernous cave, and then the uh, as as you progress further and further, the, the the area that you can fly gets smaller and smaller, and so you have to be very exacting. Hard and big cavernous uh, caves kind of describes my love life, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what are we talking about? I drifted. X Men. Oh, uh, talking about X Men. Oh, okay. Well, speaking of. Uh, cavernous cave. Scott is dancing with Madeline Pryor. In Reindeer Falls, Alaska. Where the heck is Corsair and Havoc? I don't know. I feel like this is like some time has passed because they say this is their first date after weeks of flying cargo all across the state. And both are discovering that it's turning out to be a lot more than they bargained for. Well, so it's been it's been weeks since they first met. All right, but didn't they just meet last issue? I believe it was two issues ago. Oh, okay. Well, that makes more sense because this issue is a continuation of the last issue. But I, do, I don't think they were in the last issue. They may not have been. Okay, well, that's fair. So, I mean, I guess they met and they're like, oh, look at you. Look at you. And then they're like, let's go fly in cargo all over Alaska. Okay. Okay. Look at you. <laughs> And so they're dancing. Um, I guess the place has closed down, and they don't even notice that nobody else is there at this this what is it like resort or something? Uh, it's it's apparently a place that Madeline's friend owns, and he owes her a favor um, because she saved the life of his son. So the fact that the place is closed down 
feels like it's like a hotel to me or something. Okay. But, uh, yeah, every staff and guests have long since gone to bed. It's a chalet. Ah. Chalet. So maybe they were skiing earlier. Yeah. Well, anyways, the music ends. Uh, they keep holding on to each other and dancing. But finally, Madeline uh, realizes that there's no music and decides that she better change the tape, whatever that is. <laughs> <laughs> The eight track. <laughs> <laughs> Let me go flip the reel to reel so we can dance some more. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, they compliment each other for dancing so well, and talk. Oh, we learned something nice about uh, Scott Summers here. He's a good dancer. Hmm. When did he have time to practice dancing with all of his brooding and training and yelling at the X Men? Oh. There is a dance instructor at the school. That's a good point. Maybe he was uh, taking lessons that we never heard about from Stevie Hunter. That could Maybe be. he has a secondary mutation that he learns by watching. Perhaps. Uh, so they talk about how the owner hasn't chased him away, and this is where we get the favor and the saving of the kid and all that good stuff. And then Madeline suggests, we could stay the weekend, the entire winter, in the best suite in the place, and he wouldn't squawk tempted very and then he thinks to himself good lord she's serious and so am i so i better start brooding (laughs) and he does he goes off and broods but don't you think madeline's a little forward here well i think they're just flirting i think they're being jokey and you know okay I guess they've hit it off, like yeah, they're they're they've hit it off. They're on a date. They've maybe had a few drinks, maybe not. It doesn't really matter. They're but they really like each other, and they're very they're very flirtatious with one another. If they're not drunk on booze, they might be drunk on love, Adam. Exactly. <laughs> Madeline wants to know what's wrong with brooding Scott, and he's thinking to himself, he shouldn't be doing this. Um, each time I see Madeline, I feel the knife twist deeper into my heart. What's what's the matter? What's wrong? And yet when I'm with her, I don't care. You get an interesting shot of her silhouette in front of the fire. How do you feel about this, Adam? Well, I mean, it's obviously an allusion to Phoenix. Is it? Or is it just an excuse to show the silhouette of her naked body? No, I think it's (laughs) it's definitely an allusion to Phoenix. And, um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting. I, I, I kind of gloss over the whole naked body thing. Oh. Because um, it's it's just a silhouette. I mean, hey man, it's interesting. When you're a young child and this is all you've got, it doesn't take much to be like, just naked under there. Just look at her. <laughs> Boy, if that shadow wasn't there, you might be able to see something. <laughs> Madeline comments that a moment ago you were happy and relaxed and... You changed completely. What did I do? Did I do something for you? Oh, I didn't mean to put you on the spot about the weekend. So she really was serious about the weekend. Well, and she again, says it. She says, again, again, "I've never she, been so forward with anyone." Again, you know, they're they're being flirty, and and yeah, she 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 meant it, but she, I'm sure she kind of half meant it. I'm not judging. I mean, it's <laughs> not judging at all. I mean. Uh, so in Cyclops, he's like, oh, it's not true, Madeline. And yet it is. There was a woman, Jean Grey. We were in love, planned to be married. She died. We did it on the butt. <laughs> I'll never forget when we did it on the butt. Angel introduced me to the butt. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, anyways, uh, I thought I'd put the grief, the lo- the loss, uh, the joy behind me until I met you. And he pulls out a picture of Jean and shows it to Madeline. Me, she's me. Right, or you're her. Oh, that's that's probably more likely. <laughs> or something, I don't know. Uh, yeah, and so Madeline's kind of like, oh, man, I, I must have seemed like the answer to your prayers or a nightmare. This is going to take me some getting used to. I'll have to think about it alone. Of course, I understand. So she goes and stands by the fire. I'm a jerk. <laughs> it doesn't really seem like a whole lot of time passes, but he does a lot of thinking to himself, and he's, you know, he's strategizing, sort of. He's like, that was the smart play. Which is right. I mean, he was being honest. Like, better to do this now than, like, in two years be like, you remind me of my dead girlfriend. (laughs) Right? So it's out there and she can choose what she needs to do with this piece of information. It's true. It's only their first date. So he is letting her know right away. He is a stand-up guy. After that whole thing with, uh, what's her name? Uh, Lee Forrester. Lee Forrester, who (laughs) now we'll definitely never see again. (laughs) He's finally doing the right thing. Um. Anyway, so he's, he continues to think, and like, what does he do with these feelings? Does he deny them? Or, or, but he's not going to run away. And at that moment, Madeline steps up. She's like, well, I thought about it, and I'm cool. <laughs> Effectively is what she says. But Cyclops, to continue the honesty streak, Madeline says, uh, do you want to be with me because of who I am or who I look like? And he's like, I don't know, but I'd like to find out. Will you... Wait, will I find out? That's kind of... Cyclops, I don't know. How does he have this way with women? He has a way with women, to be sure. I would rather you not find out. Uh, (laughs) I I would make your decision now, you jerk. (laughs) Why don't you go somewhere else and make your decision? But nope, she goes the opposite direction. She's like, well, fair enough. I switched the tapes. How about we start with another dance? You can figure it out while we dance. (laughs) Figure it out soon. It's almost over. Don't you, like... I, it's a comic book, and it's not really a romance comic book. But don't you think, like, him not knowing what he wants to do and being her would, like, exacerbate the problem? Uh, in every relationship I've been in, sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go, right? So, anyways, uh, we get another one of those panels that looks like a photograph. Oh, yeah, yeah. New York City, a thousand feet beneath Manhattan's teeming streets. It looks like it's oh. a bridge. Is it the... Brooklyn Bridge, maybe? How's that look in the omnibus? Because in, in, in my copy, it's very, uh, I can't make out what's going on here. It's black and tannish pink. Hmm. It looks it looks like a bridge. Uh, and then off to the left, it looks like some, some buildings. Uh, and then the bottom of the panel is water that's reflecting off of the cityscape. At least that's what I see. Is it, so it's still, it's still pretty muddy, though. Oh yeah, I mean you. Uh, again, I'm guessing that this thing off to the right is a bridge. I I can't really tell because it looks like it's a little too high to be a bridge, but it's kind of arched on the top, like a bridge would be arched. All right, all right, cool, cool, <laughs> cool, cool. It could just be like like a light shining down, and uh, I don't know. It's weird. I like it, but it's weird. Anyways, in the Morlock uh, tunnels here, there's a wedding going on. Callisto's up there in her hot white dress. <laughs> there's like a like a thousand Morlocks here witnessing the wedding. Well, because, yeah. What else do they have to do? <laughs> Not much. I've always wanted to attend a wedding. And so 
the Morlocks, uh, primarily Sunder, Mask, and Plague, are watching over the X-Men who are tied up. And uh, Callisto's like, I don't know what voice we had for Callisto, but she's she's really looking forward to the wedding night. Um. Oh, yeah. I, I don't remember either. Yeah. Shoot. I thought we kind of almost had one, but now we'll have to start all over. Uh, I mean, we only have like two or three different girl voices, so it's <laughs> just going to be a, a, an amalgamation of one of those. Comfy, my pretty, pretty. Yeah. Looking forward to our wedding night, I certainly am. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we've used that for somebody else, but it, it'll work for Callisto for now. It's kind of a, a younger destiny. <laughs> I feel yes. I feel like she should have like a like a Brooklyn accent though. Oh. I don't know if I do a female Brooklyn accent. <laughs> do you do a male Brooklyn accent? Hey, I'm walking here. <laughs> there you go. So that's how you have to start out every impression. Yeah. Yeah, you gotta you gotta find your phrase. Comfy my pretty. Comfy my pretty. Looking forward to our wedding night. Hey, I'm walking here. <laughs> I'm walking here. Looking forward to a wedding night? I certainly am. There you go. We can, we can go with that. Storm um, wakes up <laughs> and she says, Callisto, stop. Angel's a human being, not a slave. I think Sunder punches her in the back of the head. No. Uh, uh, pulls just, her hair. Just pulls her hair. And that's when Nightcrawler and Colossus spring into action. Colo- or Nightcrawler teleports out of his bindings and Colossus just turns into metal. Yes. Which is, it's a, it's a running gag, which I think started last issue. What's that? When they broke out of it. They're able to break out of their uh, bondage. bondage. Oh, Adam, where's your mind? <laughs> you don't want to know. Nightcrawler teleports over to Callisto and does something to her chin. I'm not really sure what. Uh, he grabs her by the chin, uh, I think just enough so that he can oh, okay. pull her away. Yeah, so we kind of shift. So he grabs her by the chin. We switch our attention over to Colossus, who's punching the crap out of Sunder. And then... Uh, Let us see how well you can fare against someone your own size, Tovarich. <laughs> Storm is talking to herself. She's able to untie her bonds because, you know, she's a pickpocket and a thief. And she comments that there's enough room in the ten- tunnel for her to generate some wild weather patterns that she requires, and so she kind of scares the Morlocks with some lightning. Meanwhile, in a very clever four-panel BAMF uh, configuration, Nightcrawler is teleporting Callisto all over the Morlock tunnels to make her sick. Which is a pretty cool use of Nightcrawler's power that we haven't seen yet. I think you're right. I think this is the first, like, multiple teleporting around to disorient a person. So... He develops super strength and holds uh, Callisto over his head with one arm and says, Morlox, behold your mistress. If you would have her leave, release Angel and allow my friends to depart in peace. Actually, before we move on, I, I should point out the uh, the coolest part of that teleporting around thing is that the panels spell the, the word BAMF. Yeah, I commented on that already. Oh, you did? Adam, do you not listen to me? <laughs> <laughs> I might have zoned out. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, well. We're, we're, only, we're only like 15 minutes into this, and you're already not listening to me. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fine. It is a very cool layout. Indeed. I Indeed like it. it is. <laughs> and so that's when Sunder stops fighting Colossus, and he really does not want anybody to kill Callisto. 
You heard of the term, Sunder? And then she thinks to herself, But if they call Nightcrawler's bluff, what then? Even if we get out of here, there is still Kitty to find. She could be anywhere in this labyrinth. We have no means of locating her. And somebody sneaks up behind her and touches her and says, Don't be frightened, dearie. What harm could a little old lady do? Storm is also still trying to figure out what, who or what these Morlocks are, commenting how strong Sunder is, and that's when Plague touches Storm. She falls over, and she is sick. Ha 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 yes. ha! She's on to other foot, ain't it? She's got a temporary fever, but she's sick as a dog. She'll survive, but and if she touches her again, she'll die. In agony. Give up, pretty boy. Give up, pretty boy, or I'll do it. <laughs> so she's an old Australian lady. Uh, I don't know. I was trying. I was trying. I'm trying to give everybody different Brooklyn accents, <laughs> and, and 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 it's going to be all over the place. But the less we comment on it, the better. Oh, okay. All right. So Nightcrawler gives up. We've got no choice. So he puts down Callisto. Uh, some Morlock finds some polymer cable that even Sunder couldn't break, so he wants to tie up Colossus with that polymer cable. What the hell is polymer cable? I don't know, but Sunder can't break it. Yeah, exactly. So long as we hold his friends host, so long as we hold his friends hostage, Nightcrawler won't go be going anywhere. And when I finish with him, he won't be able to. Is that, that was that was that Brooklyn? Uh, I don't know. It was something. <laughs> Stop drawing attention to it. <laughs> <laughs> You're a fool, X-Men. No, that's, that's bad. <laughs> we're, we're, we're our positions reversed out of care without compunction. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, <laughs> Nightcrawler is he's wondering, who are you? What is this place? Your abilities, could you be mutant like us? And that's when Callisto gives them the background. They are mutants. They're runaways, they're outcasts, they're people with no home, they're hunted and hated because of their powers. They didn't want to under, uh, oh, they didn't want uh, or understand, i.e. the Morlocks didn't want those powers or understand their powers. They're deformed, despised, and deserted. And the alley here that they are in, which is the name of their location, is an old bomb shelter that's been evacuated, and they've taken it over and made it a sanctuary for those like Callisto. But how? Or but how do you find them? With a with a mutant who's mutant. <laughs> with a mutant like, whose power set. I can't do it. It's like Miss Piggy. <laughs> it is. Mm, Kermy with mutant whose power senses resist uh, presence of other mutants. We'll keep working on it. His name's Caliban. <laughs> and we move on to Caliban, who is taking uh, care of Kitty Pride. Kitty thinks she's going to die, and Caliban is trying to take care of her. Caliban! Caliban, help me! Help the X-Men! No, Caliban loves you. If he does as you ask, you will leave him and never return. No, that's not true. I'll stay, I promise. How can Caliban trust you? I give you my word! Also, I'm gonna die. Yep. <laughs> If you refuse me, I'll hate you for the rest of my life. Do you want that? It's probably like ten minutes. So Caliban has this little internal struggle about like, mm, 
Caliban wanted a friend, but Callisto is the boss. But if Caliban don't help, the X-Men are doomed. No matter what it does, Caliban is doomed. And then he notices Kitty has fallen out of the bed. Sprite child! (laughs) Elsewhere, we get a familiar scene of some 1800s galloping horses with some hunters on it. And they are... Clump, clump, I guess this is actually late 1700s per the dialogue box, but close enough. They uh, are hunting Mystique for some reason. Yeah, there's no idea how she came to, to this time or place. So she's this run. Is, this is madness. I was in bed in my house, but no dream ever felt so real in my foot. She trips. She lands in the water. Didn't we give her a Baroness voice? Mm, Deathstroll. Uh, this is madness. I was in my bed. But he's, no dream he, ever seemed to feel real real. We need more commonly recurring characters so we can actually remember their voices. <laughs> yeah. It's more funner this way. <laughs> she's broken her ankle. She's in the brook. The dogs are running towards her. And that's when one of the hunters pulls up and says, Sir Jason, the dogs. And... Oh, is that? No, that's. Oh, that's I'm sorry. Her. Sir Jason, the dogs! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, I don't know if that's really the reveal, because the reveal is later on. But okay. And it is, in fact, Jason Wingard, which makes no sense. I'll deal with him, m'lady. Back you curs, bark, I say. We're fortunate indeed, m'lady. The beast still lives. So he hands uh, uh, a dagger. So he's got Mystique in one hand and a dagger in the other hand. Gives it over to... A woman who looks just like 1783 Jean Grey. Thank you, Sir Jason. I can't remember. Wait, is that Jason? I can't remember when I've had a finest sport, m'lady. With a smile of pure joy, Lady Jean Grey slashes the blade across Mystique's throat, and that's when Mystique wakes up. No, no, I live. No, Destro. (laughs) Yeah, that's the phrase, isn't it? (laughs) <laughs> Gotta go with Destro. <laughs> well, she we know she's German, right? So, exactly, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, Baroness totally works. It was a dream. After all, what caused it? I recognized the man, the woman, was Jason Wingard, former member of the Hell Club, Club, Fire Club, blah, blah, blah. And the woman was Jean Grey, uh, but she's dead, and he is in a mental institution, uh, catatonic, incurably insane. Ouch! She says, My ankle, I broke it in the dream. It's sore in reality. Hmm, that was no ordinary dream. Someone's playing with my mind. Presumably, if we're connecting the dots, it's whoever was laughing at the Hellfire Club in the previous issue. Oh, good remember, callback. No, I don't. Remember the whole Emma Frost <clears throat> uh, interlude? I do. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, um, but yeah, I didn't. When I first reread this issue, I didn't connect those two dots. So thank God you're here. <laughs> um, so she, Mystique, she goes downstairs. Irene's already got the coffee on the pot, and Mystique's like, "What are you doing up making coffee?" Destiny reminds us that she's a precog. And also, I'm old, and I get up at four. <laughs> this is my seventh time peeing tonight, <laughs> and I heard you stir. Stirring. So I made some coffee. Mystique is, she's like, oh, it's too bad your talent didn't anticipate my nightmare. 
And this is where we get one of Destiny's many uh, precog- uh, convenient precognition fogs. She's like, I can't tell. Sometimes it doesn't work, and it's not working right now. Where the plot needs me to not know, I don't know. <laughs> exactly. Mystique wonders if it could be Charles Xavier. Destiny's like, eh, this really isn't his style. But oh, something's wrong with Rogue. She's in danger. Upstairs, Irene. Destro. She's in her room. Destro. We are too late, Raven. <laughs> no, Destro. <laughs> so they run upstairs. Mystique flies into Rogue's bedroom, and Rogue's bedroom is empty. I should never have allowed her to continue her vendetta against Dazzler. (gasps) Issues 24 through 28, of which we have not yet read 27 and 28, so look forward to that later on in this episode. Or stop now. (laughs) Or stop now. Don't stop now. (laughs) The fun's just begun. Uh, no, 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 no clothes. Destiny, where is she? I cannot see her. Rogue's future is denied me. This is a deliberate, uh, this is as deliberate as my dream. Will you take me back to the bathroom? (laughs) Someone is taunting us, Irene, taunting us, but who? Why? On a bus now departing Washington, a young woman stares miserably into the pre-dawn sky, wondering why she's run away from the home and the people she loves. But the cause of her flight and Mystique's nightmare looks on and laughs in mocking malevolent triumph. And that's that's where I connected the dots. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, that's almost exactly what they said in that one issue. Uh, I had just forgotten. I will be curious to see how all of these pieces fall together because, honestly, I don't know. I think that's, like, one of the issues that I don't have in my collection. So it'll all be new to me when it happens. Well, surely you've read it. I don't know. Is it, it maybe does it all culminate in issue 175? Do you have essential, the essentials? I thought you read all the essentials. Um, I have You're a, trying to tell me that you, you didn't read the entire run of 100 to 200? No. Wow. I mean, yes, that's exactly what I'm telling you. That's shocking. Or I did and I forgot it all. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> um, actually, I think I definitely have all of the essentials 94 through like 213, 214. X-Men issues. So it's very possible I read it. In fact, I'm sure I did. Yeah, I I know I've definitely forgotten it. But you know, there's something about those essentials. Uh, They were nice when they came out. They were really cheap uh, to buy, so you just keep picking them up. But the without, I don't know what it is. Like some comic books work fine without color and leave an indelible mark in your imagination. But those, for some reason, just they feel like cartoon strips without the colors. And I think Mm. it's because this this particular, uh, I don't want to say medium, but this comic was designed with color in mind you know whereas like teenage mutant ninja turtles was designed with black and white heavy inks in mind so i don't know I it's find- interesting the, the the farther the uh once the essentials get into the jim lee era and all those those hatch marks and stuff mm-hmm. it takes on an entirely different feeling the black and whiteness i don't know if it's better or worse it might be worse actually because it's it's very it's it's there's a lot of ink going on no, I might actually like that, but um, I will never get the essential X-Men's from that era. I stopped around Extinction Agenda. That's when I stopped buying essentials. Wow. You you must have a pretty big shelf of essentials. 
I do. I have all the X Factor essentials up to Extinction Agenda as well. Wow. I have the Extinction Agenda Omnibus, so that'll be good when we get there. Yeah, I think I have that as well. If you're we're talking about the same book. Yeah, it's uh, it's actually pretty good. It's got the lead into Extinction Agenda, and then it's got Extinction Agenda, and then it's got some additional panels that were put in. I was reading about it. It was like there's some – because a lot of it references other material that they didn't publish, like just little things that happened in other issues. So I guess they drew new panels to just explain some of the things they were referencing. Oh, that's neat. It's weird. I mean it's kind of classic X-Men I guess, but it's uh, it's not as um, bad and it's not as many. It's like, like a panel here and a panel there. But right. Anyhow, uh, it reminded me of how I really liked the Jim Lee, Chris Claremont stuff. Did it make you sad? A little bit. It's like, <laughs> oh, that was a winning team. <laughs> and then it was not. But we'll get there. Anyways. Um, so anyways, Rogue's on a train. Well, hang on now. Rogue is on a train, but. Or a bus. Uh, yes, yeah, a bus. And whenever you have seen Rogue in previous X-Men issues and even Dazzler issues, she has looked like crazy psycho girl. And in here, she kind of just looks like the Rogue that we come to know. She's she's softly drawn. She's got just kind of a, I don't know, a, a ponderous look on her face maybe. Well, yeah, she's miserable. They say so. I, I, I get that, but, I mean, just she doesn't. I don't know. She's in every other issue we've read. She's just been drawn wildly evil looking. Well, we learn more next issue. Yeah, I know, but <laughs> all right. Anyways, and yeah, she it's, only... it's good. It's change. Change is change is good. Change is always good. And she's only got one stripe rather than the two stripes. So I guess evil rogue two stripes, good rogue one stripe. Oh, I never noticed that. That's oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. And we'll see that when we get into the Dazzler comic. Two stripes. Hmm. Anyways. Uh, back to the Morlock tunnels, Callisto and, uh, Angel. Callisto's really trying to get this knot tied. <laughs> and, uh... You should smile, X-Men. Or wait, she's... You should smile, X-Men! I'm doing, like, a weird <laughs> British meets Brooklyn attempt, and it's just... I'm trying to do Brooklyn, but I'm just doing British. It's... Yeah, we're not good at voices. <laughs> She commands Mask to cheer up Storm, and that's when we get a demonstration uh, of her powers. Colossus is not in polymer cable. He is in chains. Good point. Looks like the other two are in polymer cable. Ah, so skin so smooth, features pure perfection. Hate them. And what Mask hates, he, he destroys. Oh, Mask is a dude. Yeah. You oh, wait, know Plague is a girl. Okay. Yeah, I get yeah, them yeah. confused. They're all very confusing to me. So as he touches Storm's face and pulls away, just skin is just coming with his fingers. Uh, he is getting ready to deform her face. Nightcrawler chimes in. Stop it. She has well, not he, a toy. He's, he's really angry. <clears throat> I think he, he's freaking out. Stop it. And, and, right, and rightly so. Because, uh, like, she is messing. She basically ruins storms or he he ruins storm's face mm -hmm. but then he fixes it yep she is not a toy she's a human being who deserves to be treated with dignity and respect that's so and how much dignity and respect do you think i deserve eh i got a great power you know i can reshape any face anybody except my own and, and he peels back his hood only to reveal that his eye is all 
gross and he's got a what looks like a broken nose and some rotting teeth. He is messed up. And so uh, he, he actually just kind of looks like Jason uh, Voorhees without his Oh, yeah, mask. totally. No <laughs> hair. Yeah, except uh, the eye, the missing eye would be on the other side of Jason Voorhees. Hmm. But uh, anyways. Um, Did you boy, watch that eight-hour documentary about Friday the 13th? There's an eight-hour documentary on Friday the 13th? Yeah, it covers all of them from the first one all the way through to the the the, the reboot. So I read a book uh, about just about all of the Jason movies from Friday the 13th, I think all the way through Jason X. That was really interesting. Well, this is... This this is also hosted by uh, it's like a, I think it's like a six to eight hour documentary, but it's ho- it, it's you, I'm sure you could download it tonight. But um, it's like Camp Crystal Lake Memories or something like that. Oh, I'm I'm gonna have to check that out. I don't know why, but it's hosted by Christian Slater or some old eighties dude. Christian Slater is it Christian Slater or or is it Kevin Bacon? No, it's not Kevin Bacon. Kevin Bacon is not in it okay. at all. <laughs> a lot of people talk about Kevin Bacon. Right, right. You could just see that he was going to go on to do some great things. He was pretty cool. Was it um, uh, the guy who played Marty McFly's father in Back to the Future? No, it was one of the um, the Corys. Oh, Corey Feldman. Yeah, he he was in uh, Friday the Thirteenth Part Four. Okay, which was which was uh, a really good one because they brought um, Tom Savini back for all the effects. Um, and it, I mean, for a Friday the 13th movie, it's probably second to the first movie. I haven't gotten that far in the documentary, but oh. I watched, I watched the last half, which is like from, I think Manhattan to the reboot. Oh, okay. And then I started over and made it through the first two films so far. Holy crap. I'm going to have to watch that. Ah, uh, when I was a kid, I don't even remember what age, probably fifth grade, I think. So whatever, however old you are in fifth grade, my mom would let me rent them and I would just have the worst nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know why we, we'd go back to the video store and I'd be like, I want the second one. And then I'd watch it and then I'd just have just awful, I couldn't sleep all night, <laughs> awful nightmares. And it would sometimes go on for like weeks where I would just have nightmares, but then go back to the video store and be like, I want three. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> And so um, recently, well, actually not even that recently. Jeez, I bet you it was like 10 years ago. We used to have, um, there was a, a satellite HD provider whose name is escaping me that Dish Networks bought. And they had like uh, cartoon HD, kung fu HD, horror HD, and science fiction HD. No commercials, just nothing but movies. And uh, they did a Friday the Thirteenth marathon, so I rewatched all all of them. <laughs> and then I'm like, these are <laughs> like stupid. Back to back to back. I like I didn't do more than maybe two in a single night, but yeah, like every night I was like, okay, time for another Jason movie. <laughs> and uh, they are, I mean, four again. Four. I got respect for four. Four was like uh, like a decent film, but they didn't scare me. <laughs> And obviously it's because I'm older, but I kind of watched like, like maybe the third one. I was like, what? Cause that's the one that they made in 3d, but they don't air it in 3d. So it just oh. looks stupid when they're like aiming shovels at the camera and stuff. I'm like, <laughs> how was this frightening to me? Anyways, how, do, Oh uh, yes. Mask mask was our connection to Jason. Anyways. Um, 
Callisto orders Mask to leave Nightcrawler alone. Uh, for now, anyways. Maybe later. I was, I was gonna let you turn, uh, turn him, turn you inside out, Nightcrawler. But I've changed my mind. <laughs> I sound like Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. <laughs> and <clears throat> she invites Nightcrawler to live among the Morlocks because, I mean, he is kind of deformed human and. He's like, no, I won't desert my friends, Callisto. More importantly, I've spent my whole life fighting to be accepted as I am, to be judged by the deeds instead of my looks. And that's when Caliban runs in, holding Sprite. Callisto! Wait, what was Caliban's voice? Callisto, Caliban begs, he pleads, save the Sprite child. And you're right, the running gag again continues with Nightcrawler teleporting out of his bonds. And Colossus breaking through those white chains he was tied up in. Bondage. Bondage. Katya! By all I hold, holy Morlocks, if she dies, I will bring this tunnel down upon your misbegotten heads. Let me see her, Caliban. I have medical training. <laughs> uh, it's not very good, though. Is there a healer among you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is going to need more than a bandage, I think. Um, One... Mm. One whose powers knit wounds and broken bones, yes, but uh, none to cure the sickness plague brings. Basically, only plague can cure plague's plagues. Right. You're going nowhere, X-Men. Not if you want your pals to stay healthy. And she Here lo- you are, and if you stay, here you stay till I say different. If the brat dies, she dies. And she looks over at Sunder and she's like, For God's sakes, could somebody tie these people up so they don't escape? It's ridiculous. I offer you protection and you can't even tie these people up? Caliban leans over to Nightcrawler and he's like, "Mm, She will not change her mind, Nightcrawler. The only way to take her command is if you... uh, She's removed as a leader. And you can do that through the trial by combat. Okay, let's do it. (laughs) So Nightcrawler challenges Callisto to the trial by combat. But that's when Storm wakes up and she's like, I lead the X-Men, the challenge, the duel. Your life are mine. Really Have you sick. lost your wits, Storm? She does look very sick, it's true. <laughs> You're barely able to stand, thanks to Plague. Wait, what am I doing? <laughs> Whose voice is that? Much less fight. This is no time for idiotic gestures. Kitty's life hangs in the balance. I'm aware of that, and I'm going to do the fight. So Callisto's like, cool, all right, let's do this thing. And by the way, no powers. Yes, use your elemental powers, and your precious kitty's throat will be cut. She tosses Storm a knife, and we get this great two-panel sequence where the knife is just be uh, flying towards Storm, and Storm isn't moving. And then the next panel, she quickly moves her arms and grabs the knife. And uh, then we get a panel of Callisto going, Gulp. <laughs> I may have bitten off more than I can chew. Did you see that, Overage? A bluff, my influent. Aurora has sworn never to take a life before. Once Callisto realizes that, Storm is finished. Then we get a classic uh, Captain Kirk versus Spock fight. Or Except go- with Storm and Callisto. Or Gorn. Or, or Gorn, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> probably, probably, probably Gorn. That's probably more classic. This, so, this uh, whole thing, (laughs) this whole thing would be perfect if it wasn't spoiled by all of these dialogue boxes. That's true. 
uh, because the so the first page is only a two page fight, which is awesome. Uh, most of the time, whenever they do this, it's like a nine page fight, and you're just bored of the whole thing by the time it's done. But it's just it's just two pages, and the first page is kind of the lead up. Uh, Callisto seems like she might have the upper hand. She keeps drawing blood and stuff, but that's when Storm uses her resources around her, wraps up Callisto's arm with her cape. And then she just, without any sort of build-up, drama, or anything, lifts up her arm to get the knife out of the way, and then Storm just stabs Callisto in the heart. True. And four panels of this last page are of Callisto falling to the ground. The last the last page does have no dialogue, which is a nice touch. I like it a lot. I mean, you can just... I, I don't think... I, th- I think the dialogue's fine. I mean, it doesn't... It doesn't change the impact of the fight. It, it just kind of, it's very clear Monty in the very details of what they're doing and stuff. So I don't disagree with that. Like it, it doesn't, maybe, maybe it doesn't take too much away, but it doesn't add anything. I'll agree with that. So I feel like, so I guess maybe in a modern comic book, they would have just gotten rid of all the dialogue here and just let you look at the pictures. But I feel like, you know, this, this well, I mean, this is kind of a very, What's that one Larry Hama G.I. Joe issue? Silent interlude? Silent interlude. I mean, because like, the panels are just speaking for themselves, right? Callisto lunges, then draws blood. Storm swipes and misses. Callisto draws more blood. And then Storm gets the over uh, the upper hand. You don't need any dialogue. Just look at the pictures and you got it. But anyways, whatever. That's just a minor nitpick. But anyways, so Storm has won the trial by combat. So boom, she is the Morlock leader. She walks up the dais. She unties, uh, well, she uses her knife to cut the bonds that were holding uh, Angel. And she picks up Angel and says, Colossus, would you take Kitty, please? Will she be- we shall be leaving here directly. If anyone has any objections, they welcome. they are welcome to challenge me as did Callisto and risk the same fate. By your own law, then, I now need the, mar- the Morlocks. It's... She should tell Plague to de-plague Kitty. Yeah, that doesn't happen in this issue. Um, I don't know if it even happens in the next issue. I mean, clearly, Kitty gets better at some point. But she uh, she says um, she invites all the Morlocks to come home, uh, to a home, a sanctuary at Professor Xavier's. Uh, but Caliban's like, this is where we belong. <laughs> so... We hope that the X-Men and Morlocks can live in free peace as friends, though. Yep, and so Nightcrawler comments that only a moment ago all of the Morlocks wanted to kill them, but now they're just, just, just they're just hanging back, just watching the the goings ons going. The healer that the Morlocks have has healed Callisto, so if not for him, she would be dead. Yep. Um, you stabbed her through the heart, Aurora. Are you aware of that? I knew when I made the challenge what had to be done, Kurt. I never expected that of you. Neither did Callisto. That was her mistake. Which, to I say, is why would Callisto expect anything different? She doesn't know Storm. That's true. She doesn't know Storm's vow of not killing. Well, she does know that Storm was sick, though. That's true, I guess. Meanwhile, at dawn in Alaska, Madeline and Scott are just necking and they have been necking for hours their lips are so chapped right now they don't even care (laughs) i don't know about you but i'm starved Mm, ridge has a superb kitchen and i'm a superb cook 
and steak and eggs rare and over easy fresh OJ and tea? Sounds good to me. How'd you know that was my favorite breakfast? Simple. I'm a mind reader. What? (laughs) Whoa, that's some sun. Can I borrow your shades, Scott? And he freaks out. I would have really have liked to have seen like a, a reaction shot of Scott to the whole I'm a mind reader thing. Well, right, because I mean, wait, wait, what? Like you look like Phoenix. Or even just like a look of him like staring at her and maybe some like emotion lines coming right. out of his face like a, like a shock thing. I know a Phoenix dies only to be reborn. Could you be the reborn uh, rebirth of Phoenix? Why did you make that mind reader comment? <laughs> So she goes for the shades, Scott freaks out, and I guess hits her. Well, he he slaps her away. Hey, what the blazes was that all about? You hit me! I'm sorry, Madeline, I didn't mean to. Oh, that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Not good enough, Scott. I think I deserve a straight answer. I've never seen you without those glasses, and we've been making out for hours. It's really digging into my cheeks whenever we kiss. I'm not sure how I haven't tried to take them off before this point, but I but I, guess I, I really am into a man with shades. I wish there were an easier explanation. That, or I wish I was so sensitive to light that I couldn't not wear them. That'd be easy to live with. Hey, did you know that that's what um, that's Bono's problem? Uh, no, it's not Bono's problem. He said, just said he got sick of all the flash bulbs in his face. No, he recently revealed on the Graham Norton show that he is actually suffering from uh, light sensitivity, and that's why he always has to wear glasses. Really? He finally revealed it. I had read, well, yeah, things change, but I had read maybe ten or twenty years ago that he he put them on and he never took them off, and it really helped with the flash bulbs, which I guess would. Working with light sensitivity issues. Whatever. He's the biggest rock star on the planet. He can do whatever he wants. He's Cyclops. (laughs) Uh, Hi, Titi. Graham, I have to wear these sunglasses. Otherwise, my optic blasts will be out of control. You know. Maybe maybe he's just a really big X-Men fan. When me and the Edge were riding up Unforgettable Fire, I kept blowing (laughs) up the amps. So put these sunglasses on and it didn't happen anymore. (laughs) This is called One. This song's called My Deadly Eyes. <laughs> yes. Uh, anyways, so he decides that she, he's, he, well, she wants an explanation. He's thinking to himself that the smart thing to do would be to lie. But since Cyclops is on an honesty streak, he pulls a quarter out from his pocket, flips it up into the air. Using his spatial geometry, he is able to pinpoint, zap it through the middle. He drops into his hand. He hands the quarter over to Madeline, and he says, I'm a mutant. And she's like, what the heck just happened? (laughs) Oh, I'm impressed. Wow. You're kooky. Don't be. My eyes are deadly. I have deadly eyes. (laughs) It must be awful for you to always be on guard, terrified of the consequences of even the slightest accident or mistake. You read me like a book. No, I read your mind. (laughs) I read the paper, Scott. Mutants aren't very popular. You risked everything by telling me your secret. Why? Because you asked, and I found I couldn't lie or hide anything from you, baby. If you you want, if you, no matter what the cost, if you want me to go, Lynn, I will. No way. Please stay. (laughs) The day I want you out of my life, Scott Summers, I'll tell you. Next issue, Rogue. 
In the house. Rogue. In the house. Rogue. In the house. Yeah. Uh, we got a voicemail, which is pretty awesome because we, we hardly ever get voicemails. It's a very informative one. So uh, would you like to hear it, Adam? I sure would. I haven't heard it yet. Well, here we go. Hey, guys. This is Jake from Connecticut. Just finished listening to the most recent podcast, and you guys were talking about Age of Apocalypse. That is right around the time where I stopped collecting comics for a really long time, but I did collect the Legion Quest that was the lead-up to Age of Apocalypse. Um, The issues are actually X-Factor 109, Uncanny X-Men 320, 321, X-Men 40 and 41, and it all ends in Cable 20. Um, it's very interesting storyline. I'm actually, uh, was at the time kind of a fan of the Age of Apocalypse, but I went back and read it, um, probably a year, two years ago, and it does not hold up well. So, just wanted to, uh, guys up to date on stuff like that. Thanks. Bye. See, Adam, it's just that easy. Did the listener say their name? Uh, I think they said it was Scott. Okay. I missed that part. Hey, guys, this is Jake from Connecticut. Not even close. It's Jake from Connecticut. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I think his last name is Scott. I think it's Jake Scott from Connecticut. (laughs) Jake Scott. That's a great name. I'm Jake Scott. (laughs) Calling into the danger room. Let me school you guys on some Age of Apocalypse. I imagine we were talking about Age of Apocalypse in uh, conjunction with the whole Secret Wars and crossover and all that sort of stuff. Um, but Adam, did you read Legion Quest at all? I did not. Okay. Well, I, I, can, ha- I can, I think I own those issues. I do. I can picture the font. Yeah. I definitely have some issues. I have not read them. Uh, there was a bookstore in town that actually had the omnibus. And so I, it was Extinction Agenda omnibus or Legion Quest omnibus. And I picked Extinction Agenda because the, as I was flipping through the Legion Quest, the artwork just looked bad. I think, really? I think that was in a Marvel downturn in terms of art. Or maybe it's just a different style that I wasn't accustomed to. But uh, I went back to that bookstore because I was like, well, we're doing this podcast. I might as well just whatever like material I can find, I might as well just grab because at some point it'll come in handy. And it was sold, Adam. And it was on. It was there for like 20 bucks. You got to buy those things when they happen. Uh, I know. There's a... Secret Wars um, paperback uh, omnibus on Amazon right now for like $19. I'm like, I should really buy that now because when we actually want to read it, it'll probably be like 50 I wouldn't buy that in hardback. I mean, unless you really want one. I'm sure, you could, I'm sure you could get a paperback for 20 That's what I said. There's a paperback on Amazon right now for 20 bucks. Yeah, but it's not going to go up to 50 I don't know. With my luck, it probably will. On Amazon? No, you'll be able to get that easily. I have bad luck, Adam. Okay, okay. Everybody's you gonna, buy it now. Everybody's going to hear this episode and be like, I better buy it so Jeremy can't have it. <laughs> you should buy the Secret Wars 2 Omnibus, though. It is. It has got a ton of Secret Wars 2. There's no way that it has all of Secret Wars 2. I don't know, man. It's huge. It has a lot of stuff. I read all of Secret Wars 2, and I got to be honest, like when we get there, we won't be able to cover it all because there's so much of it, but... That story, if you read it continuity-wise, like, I never really realized that each issue of Secret Wars 2 has corresponding issues in the Marvel Universe, whether it's Avengers, Power Man, X-Men, or whatever. And the theme of that limited uh, 
series issue runs through all of the connecting issues. So uh, it's really, oh, that's kind of cool. It's very cool because like what's like a topic or a thing that the Beyonder does or whatever in issue three, for example, is what basically all of the related comic books deal with either the cleanup or the choices that the Beyonder made, and then you go to the next issue. So it's weird because you can read Secret Wars all by itself, and it it, it works, uh, but it really opens up when you put all those other issues with it. So I don't know. Good on Jim Shooter for organizing that, I guess. I bet you, though, that there's a lot of people that agree that uh, Secret Wars 2 is probably super cheesy because it kind of is, but I, I like it. I'm looking forward to it. I've never read it. But 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 that being said is that like each of those six issues there's got to be at least four or five corresponding issues to go with it. So I don't know how many issues an omnibus usually holds, but it would have to be I don't know, like 7 times 6. What's that? 40 something? 42. It's got a lot of issues in it. Okay, maybe it is everything. And that would Check actually... it out. Check it out online, you know. It's 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 quite impressive. This is it uh is it available? Uh if it's not, I'm sure you it has a at least a synopsis of everything that's in it. Okay. Well, I'll have to I'll have to go check that out. But anyways, yeah, thank you for the call, uh Jake Scott from Connecticut. I uh I recently did not buy a hardcover copy of Contest of Champions for $5. What? And and uh and it it's gone now. <laughs> I think I would have picked that. I would have, I'd probably pick up any Marvel Omnibus that was $5, especially in hardcover. Well, Contest of Champions was like three issues and we we covered them all and they I would probably never read them again. Well, probably, but you it, it would look nice on your shelf. I maybe. <laughs> uh Actually, there's a there's a video online of somebody who took all of the the New Mutants uh collections just like um I don't know. There's like ten of them out now. They're like they're called classic New Mutants or something like that. And each of them has like maybe eight eight issues, and it's got really nice paper. And so he took the bindings off of them and he put them into an omnibus style binding and actually like put it all together. Uh-huh. It looks it's a it's a really cool video and it's really it came out really nice. Hmm. It looks like an actual omnibus. Adam, did you know that there's a new Deathlock series out there? Um, I think so. I didn't until until just the other day I was at my local comic book shop picking up a copy of X-Men 92. Is uh is Deathlock a part of Secret Wars? I I don't know. I didn't look that closely. I really should. I think it was in a I think it was bagged and boarded, but it was You didn't buy it? I, well, it was like issue 7 or something. I was like, oh, well, okay. "How did I like I mean, I guess I'm not that in the know, but I was like, I I I feel like I would have heard about this through, you know, one of the Facebook ads or geek web pages I visit, but I had no idea. And it, I don't think it said Secret Wars on it, but I don't know. I'll have to check. Well, if, it, if it's on issue seven, yeah, it's probably not uh, a Secret Wars thing. It's probably one of those. Uh, it probably ended right before Secret Wars. Uh, well, I'll have to check it out because I know you're not a huge Deathlock fan, but I, for whatever reason, I'm going to go do a solo Deathlock podcast. <laughs> it's all by myself, just me. Did you pick up any of uh, season two of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? I haven't watched any Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. except for the first three episodes oh, okay. of season one. I, I, I gotcha. Okay. And I haven't watched any Agent Carter, mm. but I've got them all queued up. Okay. And I haven't finished watching Daredevil. Jeez, you're behind in the Marvel TV series. <laughs> I know. I mean, <laughs> I know. Yeah, anyways. Um, we got a uh, review on iTunes. 
from Doombot Tater Tot, which is my favorite reviewer's name of all time. <laughs> Doombot Tater Tot says, I love the Danger Room podcast. Adam and Jeremy are fun to listen, and their Marvel Girl voice uh, voices are reminiscent of Marge Simpson and Pinocchio from Shrek. Hilarious. Well, good, because it's back. <laughs> it's back, and it's not going anywhere for a while, so... If you would like to join in on the fun, you can do so by visiting us at www.xmenpodcast.com for all of the episodes. You can leave a comment there, or you can subscribe, or whatever. Just download through the back catalog. You can also go to facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast. It's obviously our Facebook page. You can like us there, join in on the conversation, or send us a message there. You can email us at DangerRoom at RedCatProductions.com, or you can call us, as Jake Scott did, at 501-GET-X-MEN. And uh, what else? We can You can get, us, get a hold of us on Stitcher. That's a good place to listen to us. Or you can just go to iTunes, search out Danger Room in the store. We're the first one that comes up. Subscribe five-star review type up a review whatever you know we haven't had a five-star review in a while i mean it was it's good that we got one again but those have been uh distant for a while so yeah it it seemed like hop on there yeah it seemed like we were getting like one or two a month and then it kind of dropped off for three or four months so thank goodness for doombot tater tot (laughs) breaking the streak bringing us back into the fold making us relevant once more any excuse to say that name (laughs) i will keep saying it adam uh well actually not anymore this episode oh yeah yeah who's your favorite what's your favorite name adam <laughs> i told you i wasn't gonna say it anymore what's your favorite name that gave us an itunes review ah fine doombot tater tot <laughs> okay if you say it if you say it three times he'll appear in your room <gasps> but do i have to be standing in front of a mirror mm, not according to the laws of beetlejuice so <laughs> i'm gonna go with no okay um that would be creepy, so I'm not going to do it. <laughs> what if Doombot Tater Tot shows up and tries to steal my, my comic books? Maybe maybe he'd just be like, hey, hey, why am I here? <laughs> what the? Send me back. Send my name again three times. But you got to say it backwards in order to get me back. Uh, that would be like Tot Raiders. Let's just go easy. Tot Tater Bot Doom. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Dazzler, number 27. Oh, boy. Definitely has an attractive cover. These covers are pretty slick. I think sales are slumping, would be my guess. And somebody in the Marvel bullpen is like, y'all need to paint yourself up some nice covers to get some people to buy this book. Well, sales are definitely slumping because it's bi-monthly. Oh. Um, this this is another Bill Sienkiewicz, uh art painting. And I mentioned something about the writer last time around. Frank Springer. Well, Frank Springer was not on writing detail last issue. I don't think. I think he was just the penciler. But this no. issue, he is the writer and penciler. And so we're going to track Frank Springer's career on the Dazzler comic book. I can't wait to find out why. <laughs> I don't know if we will find out why. <laughs> Anyways, uh, this is basically... Well, wait, what? why are we tracking Frank Springer's uh, writership? I don't know. Or, or career? Oh, just just cuz? Well, because I looked ahead and I was like, that's weird. Because so, you're bored? Kind of. <laughs> oh, okay. But uh, Frank Springer is in control right now. All right. This uh, episode basically takes off uh, from where we left off last episode. 
where Dazzler and her sister are on the run. They're on a bus. Dazzler's reminiscing about all the crazy adventures she has when she encounters Rogue on the bus. And at first you're like, whoa, is this the bus that she was on in the issue of (laughs) X-Men? It could be, depending on what order you read the comics. Anyway, so uh, Rogue is fighting uh, Dazzler, just kind of beating the crap out of her. Dazzler finds a boombox, turns it on. That's when she's able to charge up her power, and she's able to uh, she's able to blast Rogue a few times. But then uh, Rogue is able to absorb her sister Lois's powers, which give her like some sort of I don't know death death zap or something like that. And so she ends up shooting Dazzler in the face, horribly horribly deforming Dazzler's face. And so. You're reading this like, holy crap, how is Dazzler going to get her face back? This is nuts. Yeah, this is, this is, this is pretty serious. Yeah, and so, like, the bus is still, uh, I think the bus is pulled over by now. But anyways, uh, yeah, so that she, she keeps fighting. Dazzler's like, she's not going to give up. So she gets up, and she blasts Rogue. She knocks Rogue out. Uh, the bus driver, he gets hit by a ricochet, or he gets uh, hit by a ricocheting light off of the rearview mirror, and... Dazzler, her horrible mutant face, Rogue and her sister, the bus driver, they all go careening off a cliff and you're like, oh my god, this is it. Last issue of Dazzler. <laughs> Turns out it was just a dream. And she's like, give me a mirror, give me a mirror. And she looks at her face in the mirror and she's like, I'm pretty. Oh my gosh, I'm pretty. I'm very, <laughs> very pretty. So pretty. <laughs> <laughs> very self-centered too. So they check into a hotel and they have conversations and stuff, and it doesn't matter. Somebody's trying to blackmail them. So the first person that Dazzler calls, not the first person, she calls, who does she call here? Like this, some radio guy. And the radio guy's like, hey, man, you should go meet up with this other guy who's a rock star or movie star or whatever. I own him, and this is going to make you famous is basically what we're leading up to. But she's in trouble, so she calls Angel. Well, that that's the secret that isn't revealed until... Oh, I guess it is revealed. Never mind. It doesn't matter. <laughs> she calls Angel. Uh, but some other things are going to happen that lead up to a graphic novel that we may or may not cover later on. Uh, but anyways, yeah, so they head on over uh, to the to the guy's house that's trying to blackmail him, who's basically sent photos of, like, I know what you did last summer. So they go <laughs> to that house, and they break in, and uh, I guess they've also asked for Warren to meet them here. So... He flies in through the window, and the butler guy who uh, we find out later is the blackmailing. It's always the butler, right? But he's the blackmail guy. He shoots Angel in the wing, right? He's not a butler. Isn't he? No. He's just dressed like a butler. Oh. I read issue 28. I know he's not a butler. (laughs) It's always the guy that's dressed like a butler. Okay. That's fair. Uh, unless, Unless it's Alfred. Oh, right. Yeah, Dazzler needs some music to charge up her power, so she turns on the TV, turns it all the way up, charges up some power, and she's able to knock out the guy that's dressed up like a butler. And then they find out that the guy that they were sent there to kill, I think, uh, is actually Lois's father. Well, we don't find that out until the next issue. Well, whatever. But um, it's interesting, when they turn on the TV, it's playing one of those, uh, one of the, uh, medical ads that lists off a, a series of ailments that you have. So we have like upset stomach, holds dentures, hemorrhoids. It's decaffeinated. Wow, that's quite <laughs> oh. the adver- advertisement. Free gifts. Whatever product 
they're selling, I'm not interested in. <laughs> so, so, right. <clears throat> that, so let's go ahead and do Dazzler 28 as well, because... Uh, again, it's, nice it's the cover. last appearance of Rogue in in Dazzler. Ever? Probably. I think... And, I, and, and plus, you know, we want to get all the Rogue uh, appearances out of the way. Yep. For... Next issue. So Dazzler number 28 cover here, like the Dazzler logo is on the side. It's like a, like a pink and white, like it's like a, it's like a painting. Somebody painted this cover. It's, it was Bill Singovich. It is, is good stuff. Yeah. It's a great cover. The issue sucks, but it's a great cover. <laughs> so Rogue, this issue is called Vendetta and Rogue. Do you, do you think Frank Springer is Frank Miller, but he didn't want to like let anybody know? I don't know. But he's 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 again he's on script and pencil, so he is still like, Frank. You can you can take Daredevil, but we need you to do Dazzler too. Also, do I have to use my real name? You have, no, we don't care. You have a C. Tomlinson, Lieutenant USAF, retired as the technical advisor. I think that's all about the car. It totally is, but I mean, <laughs> Bill or Frank Springer's not screwing around. He's like, I need a professional to assist me with this heme shooter. I need you to hire this retired military guy. Um, all right. Wow, you're really getting into uh, Dazzler, Frank Miller. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Frank Springer. Dazzler, I'm sorry, Rogue is in the basement of something or other, and she is punching the crap out of cinder blocks that are painted up like Dazzler. <laughs> The Brotherhood of Evil Mutants danger room. Essentially. Except it's the sisterhood of evil mutants right now. Right. Right. Yep. There's there's like a car engine down there and some other metal parts. Actually, no, there's two car engines and a uh, barbell, which are essentially creating a, a weight for her to lift. Mm-hmm. That's silly. Yeah, she's mad. Uh, she lifts up that dumbbell. She's got like a giant spring that she's like, what kind of spring? Where do you think the spring came from that's... She's holding up with her feet. This is why it's their danger room. <laughs> Ali oop. And she's got, she's doing a headstand with that thing when uh, uh, Mystique and Destiny come down. And they're like, what are you doing? What is all this activity leading towards? Why ask me? Why it? Or why it? Why? why ask me, Mystique? Destiny tells the future around here. I detect Ooh, uh, such a hatred in your brain that all else is mocked out. Where that will lead, I cannot tell. Not yet, because the plot doesn't call for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, think back, Dis. Well, think back, Destiny. So she's 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 got it in for, for Dazzler. She's like, I'm rogue. I'm strong. I absorb people's powers. And that, that little trollop beat me. I'm going to get her. That Dazzler's got crappy powers, but she keeps beating me. <laughs> How is this possible? So we this is where uh, we flip over to Lois uh, and the old man, and they they there's a little thing with the locket somebody has, and this is Lois's father. I spoiled it last five minutes ago. Who cares? That's okay. <laughs> Warren didn't get shot in the wing. Actually, looks like he got and got grazed in the chest. I don't know. He's shot. He got shot. You have a, to take him to the hospital with, with a bullet. Yeah. So, uh, it's like Dazzler's hanging around with Dazzler's crazy. I got to get back together with Candy Southern. <laughs> I'm going to do that as soon as the X-Men need me. <laughs> I hope, I hope I don't get dragged into the subterranean sewers. <laughs> I hope Candy doesn't ask how I got shot. <laughs> uh, I was going to see my kind of girlfriend that I was You've been dating. hanging around with Allison Blair a lot. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, they, they, 
They're like, you are the guy who's blackmailing us. Talking right. the the blackmailer is not the butler. He is a guy that was hired by Lewis's father to find Lois. He was a he was a private detective, mm. and he happened to come across Lois supposedly killing that dude, the the derelict bum. So that's when he decided he would take those pictures, use them as blackmail to steal them. They weren't going to kill the dad. They were going to take him, ransom him for a whole bunch of money, give it to the blackmail guy. Well, no, they were supposed to kill the dad. Were they? That was part of the plan was since he needed to get the – this plan is stupid. He needed to get the dad out of the picture. So he hired – so he asked Dazzler and Lois to go kill the dad while the dad was sleeping, hoping that they wouldn't turn on the lights. (laughs) And realized, oh my god, that's that's your dad. That's my dad. It, it was a dumb plan. Well, he's busted. Because in walks Dazzler's red-haired, mustachioed boyfriend, Ken. I just remembered his name. And the police. Ken Barnett is an old flame of Ellison's. Yes, sir. According to the panel. So I guess they send Angel off to the hospital. I was checking the Angel into the hospital when they flipped out and said, This man has wings! Get him out of here! He's a freak! <laughs> this isn't a veterinarian. Uh, oh, no. it's Angel. He's always in the hospital. Oh, I know him. He's, he's got his own suite on the seventh floor. Just take him up there. We're well equipped to deal with his mutant physiology <laughs> until the plot calls for us not to be. Anyways, uh, what were you saying? So Ken explains that he 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 cracked the case and uh, whatever. Uh, Dazzler kisses him. He's like, oh, it's wonderful, and gives her a kiss. But Lois is still like, but I killed somebody. I know I did. Ken's like, no, you didn't. You might have shocked him, but he went into cardiac arrest. So her power is not to kill people on touch. I'm not really sure what her power is. Well, he he still died. Well, he died. Yeah. And so Lois is well, like, no, no. What, what this is this is. You're getting it all wrong, Jeremy. I don't think so. He died of a car. He died of a heart attack, but Lois still thinks that she caused the heart attack. Yeah, yeah. No, I got that. So her powers are to cause heart attacks. No, I think her power is to like maybe zappity zap a little bit. But he, as a result of that, what about the cat, Jeremy? What about the cat? Well, she she even thinks to herself. And the official cause of death may have shown heart attack, but in my mind, it was still murder. How could I live with that? Well, you think her power is to cause heart attacks? I don't know what her powers are. <laughs> All right. Well, I just thought maybe Ken was trying to absolve her. Uh, and the well, plot. he was. He's a, he's a lawyer. Yeah, but I thought maybe the plot was also calling for her absolution. Well, in the, in the eyes of the law, yes. Okay. But in, in the eyes of herself, no. And we still don't know what her powers are. Dazzler recognizes a tune on the radio, and she's like, oh, I know that. It's a record I cut in New York. Turn it up. And they're like, that's a brand new tune from Allison Blair. It's climbing the charts. It's going to be awesome. And the dude here, Lois's dad, is like, you should go meet Roman Neckba. And he's like, I own Roman Neckba. Nikobo? Neckabo? Who cares? I'm just I'm trying to figure out if this is like a name that's supposed to mean something. It doesn't. They drive away, uh, and when they're on the road, that's when Dazzler shows up, and she yanks Dazzler out of the car, and she kicks all of the car doors closed. She crumples the top, basically trapping all of the occupants inside of the car, which is handy because then none of these people will actually see Dazzler using her powers. Well, I guess it doesn't really matter. Like, everybody... Ken already knows, and Lois already knows. 
What's interesting for me is that she she tears out the engine of the car in the attempt to not let the uh, not let the car horn work. Right, because she doesn't want that to charge up Dazzler's powers. Right. So, like, would that work? Like, if you disconnect the battery, does that turn off the horn? Absolutely. In the night, in the eighties. Yeah. So, I mean, you need air to pass through the horn in order to make the noise, and the thing that generates the air is going to be an electrical charge, which blows. Yeah. No. If you got okay. no, if you got no battery, you got no horn. Um. Mm. Anyway, so Dazzler, she runs away. She's like, "Oh man, uh, I gotta, I gotta go to this third panel where my nipples are gonna stick out." I find this really weird that <laughs> Frank Springer decided to go to a lot of trouble to a. So you, you you see the left nipple and you're like, "Oh, it's a nipple," but then on the right you see like streaks of clothing coming off of that nipple and you're like, "God, is it cold out? It looks really warm out." <laughs> it's a lot of length I... to, to draw nipples. I know you don't notice those types of things because apparently you don't like girls and nipples, but Adam. No, no, no. I I definitely do notice those type (laughs) of things, but for some reason I don't notice it in this comic book. Really? I just, it's. it's, Maybe because I'm just trying to get through it. (laughs) It's egregious. It's like, I'm going to draw nipples now. Rather than, I mean, nobody's going to comment in the letters be like, I was watching the, or reading the Dazzler comic book, and on panel number three on page seven, she should have had nipples because she's clearly not wearing a bra. Like that would and never be a letter. Get letters like that all the time. <laughs> Dear Frank Springer, more nipples. <laughs> P.S. Story was okay. So she uh, she finds a garage and she is going to see if she can find a car with keys, honk the horn, charge up her power, which she does. And she takes a jalopy. She's driving it around, banging on the horn, zapping at rogue rogues, yanking off pieces of the car. It's really silly. What's really silly is that rogue is hanging on the side of the car, and she hits a tree to knock rogue off, and a wheel flies off of the car. But that wheel never like none of the wheels of the car is ever off. I think it's the spare tire which would have been attached to the back of the car. But it, if you go back a couple panels. There is no spare tire on the back of this car. Well, that's because, Adam, you're right. <laughs> that's, yes. I was going to try to tell you that it came out of the trunk, but the trunk is clearly closed. I don't know where that tire came from. Well, the wheel itself has like a housing around it, so it's clearly the back tire, but I don't know. It's just weird. You're, oh, no, 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 no. Go back to a couple of pages when Dazzler finally charges up her power and is zapping. There is a tire on the right-hand side of the car up by the front wheel, which is the same side that Dazzler is hanging on. And when she hits the tree, that is the tire that goes flying off. Okay, so did they used to keep spare tires there? I don't know, because there's another one on the driver's side. So I guess, you know, back in the 30s or whatever this car is from, they're like, we're not messing around here. One spare tire is okay. Two spare tires? No problem. Maybe tires used to go flat a lot more. Could be. So she's still driving around this jalopy. I learned something in this issue of Dazzler. (laughs) Yeah. She heads out to an airfield. And she's driving around. Rogue finally catches up because she can fly, you know. I just don't know why Rogue doesn't jump in front of the car and, like, punch it to make it stop and make Dazzler go flying out. Yeah, Rogue does a lot of things in this issue that... Don't make sense? Could have been easily, like... She she could have easily ended this fight 8,000 times. So Dazzler shoots Rogue. Rogue's kind of down. She's a little woozy. 
Dazzler, or Dazzler jumps up into an airplane and she's like, oh, one of these buttons has got to make some noise. So she's pushing a whole bunch of buttons and she starts up one of the engines and it starts, uh, uh, well, she starts moving the airplane, but she doesn't know how to fly. No, she doesn't. She's trying to get the airplane started. And here's another instance where Rogue should just destroy the plane from like underneath or something. But no, she climbs up the wing. She goes up to the, she's trying to get the cockpit open. She just takes all this time to do this and. She rips, it's rogue. She should just destroy the freaking plane. Yeah, she rips open the canopy only for Dazzler to have charged up enough noise from the sound of the jets to just completely blind her and shoot her off the airplane over and over again. Uh, and then they fight some more. Dazzler just keeps really, really, really giving it to Rogue. Like, this is this is the battle to end all battles, essentially. I it, don't like this part where she says... Even without using my powers, I'm more than a match for you, honey. And she flips Rogue over with a like a backflip or something. Mm-hmm. It's like, no. Rogue is like Marvel's Superman. She's invulnerable. She can fly. And she can absorb your, fire, your powers. And you cannot flip her over as a normal human being. You might be able to, but Rogue would just be like, okay, now I'm flying and I just threw you like 100 yards that way. How did that feel? I, I didn't know that if uh, Dazzler got this powerful, though. That's interesting. Is that new? Uh, remember there was an episode where she absorbed all of absorbing man? No, uh, claw. And when she absorbed all of claw, she was just like sizzling with power. Oh, okay. So she's like a battery and apparently she can overcharge herself and become really powerful. But I think this gets rewritten a little later on. In any event, uh, it, the fight goes on. Rogue gets dangerously close to uh, the intake, an air intake of the airplane. Dazzle's like, oh my god, she's going to get sucked in and die. Again, this is Rogue. If she were to be sucked into that engine, the engine would would be destroyed and Rogue would be like, oh, I got a bruise. (laughs) But no. Dazzler jumps out, moves Rogue out of the way. Rogue is unconscious. She's going to drag her off to the police. Uh, she, She deposits Rogue into the trunk of the jalopy. She drives off onto the highway, and she's like, finally, it's over. I've ended this fight for good, and nothing can ever happen bad again because I beat her up. Somehow this is definitive. (laughs) It's very, very definitive. And that is the end of the Dazzler Rogue saga, at least in the pages of Dazzler. Huzzah. Adam, did you do any reading? I did, in fact. I read Defenders, issue 120. How'd that go for you? It went, it went pretty well, you know. Stuff happened, and, and you know. Um, it, was, it was a Damon Hellstrom issue primarily where he goes to this convent and he hangs out with the monks for a while and he's trying to search for himself. He's in love with uh, Hellcat, but... He can't really commit to her until he sorts out his issues. And meanwhile, the defenders are all hanging out at Dr. Strange's headquarters. And Hellcat is having continuing nightmares about um, what's going on with Damon Hellstrom. And uh, she apparently is getting some sort of precog mental powers. And so they decide to go check it out. Um, there's a There's a silly scene with Beast. And Hellcat, where they're they they decide to go to the gym. I guess the defenders work out at the YMCA. Sure. And uh, 
they're like doing all these crazy acrobatics and all the people are just watching. And she says, three nights in a row, Hank, I've had the same dream three nights in a row. Now tell me if your old X-Men mentor, Professor Xavier, had told you the same thing, wouldn't you be the least bit worried? And that's when Beast says, yeah, I guess you're right. Huh. So they, uh, the Defenders travel out to the, um, they figure out a way to travel to the convent, but we don't pick up with them until next issue. And meanwhile, at the convent, this mystery guy uh, named Joshua, who's been, doesn't remember who he is and has been hanging around with Damon Hellstrom, uh, suddenly realizes that he is the Miracle Man. Uh, last seen in Marvel 2-in-1 number 8. I have no idea who the Miracle Man is, but he very easily uh, kills all of the monks, um, some by turning them into dust, some by turning them into stone. It's, he's, he's quite crazy. It's a miracle. Yeah, that I guess that's his power is just it's kind of like a scarlet witch sort of power. Stuff just yeah. happens. So he beats uh Damon Hellstrom and the uh defenders are on the way. That's what where that one ends. Yes, sir. Alrighty. Do you read anything else? Uh no. Right. Gonna go with no on that one. Alright. I mean I read the I read New Mutants just because I'm keeping up with that, but there is nothing to report. No? No. Well then, everything else to add to this particular episode? Waka, waka, waka. Well then, in addition to that, until next time, the Danger Room is closed. Baby.